Welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Uh, Kieran, uh, just uh, in all honesty, I think we have to reveal that we are recording this on Tuesday evening for various uh, boring technical reasons. So if there is a big story tomorrow, we're going to miss it. But that doesn't matter because we've got 48 big stories coming up <laughs> in, the, in the course of the next hour. Which uh, we might rush through because we both want to watch the football. And um, also, not going to like you, and you and I have had um, last couple of days have been at different ends of the glamour spectrum. Kieran, I've, I've spent the last couple of days with my head in a bucket, and you've been off seeing Duran Duran and going to fancy London's uh, posh restaurants. Yes, and I've got to say, Duran Duran, who who I've never bought a record of them, and because uh, my sister contacted me to say. Why are you going to see them? You you never listened to Rio when when you when we when we were kids. Okay, yeah, I know, but I just you know, give give everybody a chance. Um, and uh, I'm I'm not in a position to to talk to anybody about uh, what they've been eating in in recent years because I've, I've piled on a few pans. But uh, you know, he's you know hungry like the wolf. I, I think Simon Le Bon <laughs> has eaten not just the wolf but the whole of the wolf pack. And he's, um, he's, he's, he's a, he's a solid-looking man, uh, but he's still got an absolutely fantastic voice. Yeah, he's Simon Le Bonbon now, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, Planet Earth, I, I'll give you that. The rest of Duran Duran, I'm perfectly happy spending 24 hours of my head in a bucket, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Uh, we do have a lot of stories, Kieran, so we, will, uh, we won't rattle through them because we're more professional than that, but we may perhaps have less uh, Smiths-related uh, Scooby-Doo chit-chat than usual just so we deal with the, the proper stories. Um, the first, it's been a couple of weeks, Kieran, since we've had a, an Italian shirt-based <laughs> digital sponsor shenanigan, but here we are with uh, an Italian shirt-based digital sponsor shenanigan. We, we are indeed, and isn't it absolutely amazing? Uh, being sponsored by a magic beans company might result in you not being paid what is known as cash, and, and this is <laughs> this is arisen in respect of uh, Inter, and Roma. I think we've spoken about Inter before. Uh, yeah. They had a deal with a, a blockchain-based company called Digital Bits, and um, that that's fine. And I, I still I, I still bridle when I see the shirt because it's got to be Pirelli, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, we're prepared to to accept that the world does move on. Um, now, Digital Bits haven't paid Inter. For the whole of the season, so Inter eventually said, "Well, we've had enough of this," and this was a pretty lucrative deal. It was supposedly worth seventy-five million pounds over four years. Um, so uh, they they sacked them off, and people go, "Well, hold on, um, Digital Bits are also sponsoring Roma. You know, you're allowed to sponsor more than one club. We've yeah. seen that in in England and Scotland and so on." Um, and then Digital Bits had paid the instalments. Uh, but when it got to the 31st of March, they decided, again, they, they weren't going to pay Roma. And Roma have acted far quicker in response to this. And they said, well, if that's the case, we're not going to publicise your wares. And Roma are having a good season under Mourinho. Um, and the people said, OK, well, you know, that's that's the risk you take when getting into bed with uh, people from the, the crypto industry. Um, but then we've got a an interesting 
in, in the loosest form of the word. Um, interesting pup press release from Digital Bits, and they're going, oh, well, the non-payment's nothing to do with us. Um, we do it through another company called Zitara, who are effectively our marketing company. Uh, they're responsible for all commercial contracts, um, and we've parted relations with Zitara. Yeah, yeah. To me, that just that just smacks of you know, middle management speak. It's it's quite similar in, in many regards to what we saw with ITV Digital and the yeah. EFL. You know, back in what you know, two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Where, as far as the EFL were concerned, they would signed a, a contract with uh, with ITV, and uh, they they didn't look at the small print. You know, that's that, that's why lawyers. Are needed, yeah, you know, and, and I've uh, I've taken some criticism today for for you know defending what lawyers do, um, but uh, you know at, at that time that the contract was was with ITV Digital and not with Granada and Carlton, i.e. the big ITV companies. So so the EFL lost a lot of money on the back of that, and it looks as if something similar could arise um, in relation to this. Uh, this, this digital bits advertising. So it's going to cost Inter you know, the thick end of £20 million this season. I don't know how much the Roma deal is worth, but it's uh, uh, yeah, the club has done well, uh, in both sort of domestically and, and internationally in, in, in the European competition. So you can see the frustration. Um, it's, it, it's not the first time it's happened, though. You know, we, we, we know what's mm. happened with Football Insider, which um, was, was not really a... Uh, a stock market, even though it claimed to be, um, and, and yet these things just just pop up like whack a mole. Um, and this is what happens if you have an an unregulated, highly volatile, and easily manipulated market. Yeah, uh, Kieran, how many times have I told you lawyers get paid thousands of pounds an hour? They can defend themselves. They don't need you jumping in front of the dog on their behalf, Kieran. Um, I mean, they're, they're seriously, they get paid Swiss Ramble money, Kieran. They, they, they're, they're fine. What I don't understand about this, Kieran, if, if you're talking about um, a, a League One team in England or a Serie B team in, in Italy who are tempted by the sort of money that Digital Bits, whoever, are offering, I would, I would, I would get that. But my rule surely is if the if the team is bigger in terms mm. of reputation and global brand than the actual sponsor, then surely these teams should be a bit wary in the first place, shouldn't they? They should be, but we've used this phrase before, blinded yep. by the check. Yeah. And uh, you know, even Manchester City have had some sponsors, um, who, you know, minor ones, admittedly, who don't look too clever. Um, and you know, Aston Villa and, and Everton—they've come in for criticism from their fans. You know, Everton being sponsored by a Netherlands Antilles-based crypto casino. You know, the optics of that look just pretty terrible, and, and, and you mm. do you do get twitchy and genuinely worry about the uh, the certainty of, of of which people will be paid. Yeah, our listeners are very quick to help when I ask what the Italian for shenanigans was. Uh, let's see how long it takes them <laughs> to give me the Italian for blinded by the check. <clears throat> no Google Translate, anybody. I could do that myself. Um, <laughs> with many of our news stories start with uh, FIFA president Gianni Infantino, Kieran, and many of them continue with has got the hump with. Um, <laughs> so would you would you fill in this week's blank at the end? <laughs> uh, yes, he, he's got the hump with um, lefty liberal woke bbc um i i believe um and other uh, other european broadcasters and, and the yeah. reason for this 
is historically uh, FIFA have sold the rights to uh, both the men's and the women's game uh, in terms of the World Cup as a single product. And they've never actually said how much of that we, we formally allocate between the, the women's and the men's game. And we are the women's game is expanding. There's growing interest. Um, you know, we, we saw that at the Arsenal-Wolfsburg match the yeah. other night, a record, record yeah. crowd. Yeah. And there, there was genuine interest. And I think one of the things which intrigued me was that you know, I've, I've been to see some WSL matches. I've gone to see the Lionesses. And you do it historically, perhaps, as a bit of a day out. Yeah. But now there's a bit more. Yeah, there's a bit more we really want to see the win. There's there's some there's some uh, genuine feeling about it. And 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 that's great. You know, that, you know that, that you're getting that degree of uh, enthusiasm and commitment and passion uh, in the game from the fans. Yeah, it's always been there as far as the players are concerned. But I, I think that the fans are, are much more invested in it. Um so FIFA uh, have the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. And uh, today, Infantino goes, um, I'm not happy with the amount of money that's been offered um, from uh, European broadcasters. And he sort of effectively cited the big five countries in Europe, uh, England, Italy, Spain, Germany, and France. And he says some of them are only offering 1% of the value of uh, what's, what we, we sold the men's games for. And you might, well, and, and intuitively, I, th- I think, actually, I've got a bit of sympathy, but there, there's more to this that, than meets the eye because, yeah, in my view, sort of talking to people in the broadcasting industry, yeah, the best women's games will get somewhere in the region of 50 to 60% of the, the number of viewers, as you'd perhaps see for a men's game. You know, if, if the Lionesses get to the, the World Cup final, it will it will be a fantastic you know, viewing figures and remember the the biggest viewing figures for any live show last year was the lionesses versus germany so there there is certainly interest there um so therefore should the broadcasters be doing more well the, the bbc has a limited budget mm. and it's already you know effectively put its money into buying the rights for the 2026 Men's World Cup. So therefore, there's less to go around. Could we have seen one of the subscription channels uh, bid to buy the, the the rights? We could have, but we've not done so. Um, and then there's the fact that the matches in terms of kickoff times aren't great for European audiences. You know, I appreciate from the Southern Hemisphere, it's, it's a completely different scenario. Um, but... Um, because of the, the time difference between you know, the UK and Australia, we're effectively 12 hours behind. Um, so therefore, matches are kicking off potentially you know, 4 a.m., 6 a.m. Yeah. Are you going to be getting good audiences for, and this is, this is no disrespect to any of the teams there, you know, if, it's, if it's Denmark versus Senegal in, in a group game for the Women's World Cup um, in the UK, you're not going to be getting significant numbers. Um, and, and that will have an impact upon what the national broadcasters are willing to pay. It's also have an impact upon what, what ITV would be willing to pay because they always look, you know, how much can we generate from our commercial partners in terms of advertisements and so on? And that effectively forms the budget. So I think there's an element of circumstance here. But then you go into 
the politics of FIFA. Now, yeah. FIFA launched uh, about around about a year ago something called FIFA Plus, which is their streaming platform, and and it's great. You know, if, if you if you want to watch matches from from those countries which which don't have deals, um, it gives you an opportunity to to see some international matches, to see football which you wouldn't otherwise see. Um, FIFA make a bit of money, but they want to grow FIFA Plus. So if Infantino is successful here and does block matches being displayed on European you know, national broadcast channels, if you do want to see the matches, you'll have to go onto the streaming platform, i.e. you're buying into FIFA's new product. And I think for people that are technologically literate, that's not an issue. But, you know, Older people, and I'm not having, a, I'm not being ageist here. Um, you know, I, I I struggle with certain aspects of technology at my age. But old, older people might not feel comfortable with it. They might not have the resources. They might not have fast enough broadband. So therefore, I think the potential to have some spectacular viewing figures for the Women's World Cup, especially when you get to the final stages, will be lost. And if I was a commercial partner of FIFA, who has paid money to have my products lined up as a senior sponsor of the competition, I'd be absolutely livid because potentially I'm going to have fewer eyeballs and and I'd I'd be very, very hacked off if that's the result. So as always with Infantino, um, there's more to this than than meets the eye. And uh, is is he right that uh, FIFA should be paying equal amounts to the WENs and the women's game? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't think anybody has any objection to that. Who's who's got a you know, a sense of fair play in their in their bones? Um, and he's saying, well, we can't do it because of the media. And the reason why you can't do it, Jenny, is because of FIFA. Because FIFA have not historically allowed the women's game to be to be sold for separate rights. Yeah. And the thing is. Nobody knows what the value is, and therefore you're going to start off with a low bid and then move on, you know, hopefully to higher ones in due course. Uh, in a tournament which in the UK is going to struggle to get viewing figures for, for an awful lot of matches. Well, that's uh, nobody knows what the value is, Kieran, is, is one of the first points I wanted to make off the back of that because uh, Infantino said the offer from the European broadcaster so far is a slap in the face but hasn't said uh, what would constitute a tickle under the cheek, if you like. So he's, he's, he's said <laughs> yeah. what he said what he doesn't want, but he hasn't said what would be a suitable amount uh, before pressing the nuclear button and saying, right, you're not getting it full stop. But the other problem for ITV and BBC is that, and I don't know whether this has been enacted, but certainly Rishi Sunak was making noises that the Women's World Cup would be added to the so-called crown jewels mm. of, of TV uh, broadcasts that would be available free to air for everyone, and, and we've certainly, yeah, the, the men's World Cup. Nobody would expect to pay for that historically. Um, the women's Euros were such a big success. That I think people would think that has to be free to wear, and we would expect to see the World Cup, women's World Cup, free to wear as well. So there is a problem for ITV and BBC here if the government has committed them to show it for nothing. Because eventually, I mean, it's going to be on telly in Europe, Kieran. Eventually, it's just a bit of posturing at the moment, isn't it? As you say. Well, that that's that strikes me as Infantino a, a trying to make a name for himself as he did before the World Cup with his somewhat rambling. You know, today I feel yeah. uh, like a migrant worker. I, I, I've checked FIFA's accounts, Kevin. Oh bloody hell, those those migrant workers—they're they're an absolute shedload. 
you know, if, if, if he feels that's the way he feels, yeah. um, you know, today I feel gay and today I feel like a woman and, you know, all of this. So he, he does, he does act in uh, in a very strange manner. Um, tr- trying to get higher payments out of broadcasters, that's fine. Uh, but but threatening to to block them when it has, uh, you know, this is the paradox. Um, yeah, there, there are people on social media who attack the BBC and attack Sky for promoting the women's game because yeah. they're, they're dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, and now we, we've got the head of FIFA who's who does have a responsibility towards the whole game saying we've got a fantastic product and we're not going to allow it to be shown on terrestrial television in Europe. Yeah. It's been a big week for Burnley, Kieran, back in the Premier League and there could be a bit of stardust being sprinkled over their success. Yes. Um, we have seen uh, an announcement of new investment. This is from uh, JJ Watt, who's an NFL star. And his wife, uh, I hope I get this pronunciation correct, is uh, Kalia. Um, she is uh, plays plays in Chicago. She's a, she's a professional footballer herself. She has played on a few occasions for the U.S. women's national team, um, and also she's she's officially registered as blind in one eye. So oh, yeah, wow. to, to overcome that achievement, yeah, uh, you know, f- football is a, a tough enough game uh, operating in in with, with full eyes. Is is you know yeah, hats off. That's all I can say. Um, how much have they put in? Um, how, you know, and whether this money is going to AL Capital, who are the majority shareholders, or whether it's fresh shares, we don't know. But this does appear to be a growing trend in respect of um, wealthy people from from the US. So, yeah, you know, I think Wrexham is the the poster boy for this, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I believe yeah, we're, we're recording this on the Tuesday night. Um, and uh, yeah, they've got the, the the open bus parade, and Reynolds and McElhenney are going to be there. And I'm sure it'll be yeah, we'll see it in due course on a on a documentary. Bournemouth were taken over a few months ago. One of the investors there is Michael B. Jordan. We've got um, you know, people connected to FSG from from the sporting arena. So investing directly or indirectly in English football is becoming a thing for. US celebrities and sports stars, and, and we've got further evidence of this here. Um, also, yeah, for me, the star is is Vincent Company uh, yeah. in, in terms of transforming sort of the culture of the club in, in terms of the way it plays and 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 playing everybody off the park in that division. Absolutely amazing football. If anybody's seen seen Burnley play this season, yeah. <clears throat> Do you know who I feel sorry for, Kieran? A, a friend of mine bought an open air bus franchise in Croydon. He's never going to get. He's never going to use that, is he? <laughs> he thought that'd be an investment. It's just when we were in the semi-final of the FA Cup. I oh, just bloody, he didn't. It's, it's an imaginary friend, Kieran, for comedy purposes. But <laughs> you didn't laugh as much as I thought you would. So I'm regretting it now. Um, well, you, you, you said semi-final of the FA Cup, and I started twitching, didn't I? Oh, sorry, Kieran. Yeah, that's how remiss of me to remind you that we have lost one more FA Cup final than you have. It's not. It's not a big boast, is it? Come, come back to us when you've lost twice at Wembley in the FA Cup final, Kieran. <laughs> Uh, always to Man United. Stuffed yes. us every... Bloody us, us too. Us, us too. too. I know, exactly. Um, this may be premature, Kieran, but it, it looks like uh, it's it's definitely going to happen because we are a day early. But uh, <laughs> Leeds United's defence, they can't keep managers, let alone clean sheets. So yes. it, it looks like in a desperate... For the, and it might be, Kieran, that Sam Allardyce comes back. He might get them 
a point from those last four games. I've, I had him down for no points for the last four games. It might be that he gets in the one point that, that keeps them up. So it could be a good move, but it's, we've seen it at Tottenham. We may see it at Chelsea. Just sacking the interim manager just seems to me to smack of desperation somehow. Yeah, I mean, when when clubs are having manager of the month competitions instead of goal of the month, you, you know you've, you've reached a, a nadir in, in in a particular club season. Um, so 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 why has this happened? Well, it comes down to money, as always. Yeah, we're fully aware that relegation is not good for a football club, but also I think that people are aware that uh, uh, Rads, who is the owner of uh, Leeds United is looking for an exit route, yeah. potentially an, an opportunity to buy into uh, European football. Um, the value of Leeds United as a Premier League club is, in my opinion, somewhere in the region of 350 to £400 million. Pounds. In the Championship, if somebody offered me £150 million, I'd snap their hands off. I mean, yeah. The highest price we've ever seen historically for a Championship club is uh, actually Leeds United itself when Radrizani bought the club for around about £90 million a few years ago. Um, so that's why we, we've had this change. Um, yeah, they'll have to give a redundancy package to to the manager that is, well, they may be potentially giving to set. Uh, Big Sam's coming in for four matches. This this is, as you say, it, it's classic Big Sam <clears throat> material. But to, to go from, you know, Bielsa to Marsh to Garcia to, to Allardyce is, is quite a transition yeah. in, in terms of philosophy of football. And, and I think you know, Sam Allardyce actually gets a hard press because people hear you know, that they see the gels and they hear the voice. Uh, he, he is actually a, a progressive manager in, in some regards. Um, how much is it going to cost Leeds? My understanding is that we're probably looking somewhere in the region of a £2 million bonus for keeping them up. Um, and uh, I know Everton are apparently paying, well, will be paying Sean Dyche a two million pound bonus if he keeps them up, and, and that appears to be the going rate. Um, so you know, it, it's it, it's what four times ninety minutes. Yeah, you know, it's a good hourly rate yeah, um, on, yeah. on top of what he'll be paid anyway. Um, and I think a bit like Neil Warnock, Sam Allardyce is is one of those guys that that can't say no because he he. He misses football so much. You, know, yeah. you might be trying to put your feet up, but it isn't addictive. And when you talk to managers, you know, I've, I've had the, the privilege of, of talking to some over the years, and I'm sure you have as well. You, know, you when, when you when you've interviewed for for match of the day and so on, and it's they're, they're fans of football in the same way as we are, except they just happen to have a slightly different role. Yeah. It's interesting. People quite rightly talk about Allardyce and they say he was a very early adopter of sports science and data analysis, which he is. But basically what his talent is, is kicking asses and knocking heads together, which is you, you can analyse the data as much as you want for the last four mm. games. You've just got to terrify them enough to keep a clean sheet in one of those games. It, it's interesting looking at Southampton and Leeds, Kieran, and listening to their fans because – on the face of it, the Southampton and Leeds model is a good one, investing in young talent, homegrown talent, bringing them through. But if in that time you get relegated, you can understand why some fans say we just need to spend money at the start of the season on 28-year-olds who will keep us up and a manager like Sam Allardyce. It's, it's, it's very difficult to back young English coaches if they're not keeping you in the division and backing young talent if they're not keeping you in the division as well, especially when... Sky are telling fans that the only place to be is the Premier League or they might as well give up. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Although I've said on more than one occasion, 
championships far more fun. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. You, you've, you've only you've only got three days to be miserable after a yeah. defeat instead of full a whole week. Which, yeah. You know, that's that's great in its own right. It, whether you're Leeds or Everton or or Forest or Leicester or wherever it is that's going to go down, um, there, there is a ninety nine percent chance that you will see more victories next season than yeah. this season. Given- You'll get a chance to go to a few some other places. You will be a bigger fish in that particular pool, and uh, it's uh, it, it's it's a it's a great division yeah. with some cracking football. Kieran, it, it's easy. It's easy for you to say that because you've got how many points have you got? More than fifty, exactly. And, and Palace have got forty, so it's easy for me to say that as well. If I was on twenty-seven points and you just said what you'd said, then I'd be really cross. I'd be, yes. I'd be putting my head back in the bucket because <laughs> I'd rather stay where we are. Um, there's, there's no denying that Everton are one of the teams in trouble. Uh, Kieran, then the next two stories take us to that side of the city that you love so much. Yes, um, and first of all, we've got the the Everton Fans Advisory Board now. Now, in response to um, a letter from Bill Kenwright, um, where he he defended uh, the fellow directors uh, at, at the club, um, this. Might have been the right thing, but it was certainly not the right time. Right, and um, that that's angered the face the, the fans. And, and what they've said is, we, uh, we 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 would like the uh, the owner of the club to sack Bill Kenwright on the back of that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to make a difference to to what happens on the pitch. So, so I think it will be symbolic, given that Bill Kenwright and the other directors have not attended a match physically since January because there's been accusations of hostility from fans yeah. um, to uh, to the directors. Um, and we've also seen something similar from Leeds United, who we've just been talking about, that they've that their fans group has said, we, we equally, we just don't feel comfortable with, with the way that the club's being run. Um, and I think this sort of, Brings us to a uh, an, an interesting position. One of the recommendations of the uh, Tracy Crouch fan led review was Thank to God. you've re- you've reassured a lot of people, Kieran. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure you noticed on Twitter that you, when we were talking about changing club names in the last pod, you, everyone was expecting you to go. It won't be able to happen. Uh, you didn't mention the independent fan led review, and people people are worried. So they'll, they'll now, be pleased. You've reassured them now, Kieran. Well I'm, I'm, I'm playing the long game here, Kevin. I'm playing the long game. <laughs> um, so one, one of the things that was contained in, in the fan-led review, which has subsequently gone, you know, we're hoping will be part of the white paper and, and, and legislation, is for there to be a representation of fans, there to be proper liaison between football clubs and fans. And... The Premier League's uh, reluctance to adopt the white paper is: oh, you'll get fans trying to run the club. Now, now, you know, when when there are things like this taking place, I absolutely understand why the, where the fans are coming from. I absolutely understand their anger. This is playing into the hands of of the Premier League to say, well, you know, you, you've now got the fans d- d- trying to dictate who's who who should be and who should not be directors. First of all, yeah. the fans have no power in terms of votes, so you know it's it's a it's a spurious argument from the Premier League. But given the way that they are lining up people to try to take down the fan led review, I, I think as fans, we, we've also got to be you know there with our responses to this. Um, if if you're in the uh, you know as, as you said, if you're on twenty seven points at this time of season. 
you're going to be unhappy. You're going to be looking for uh, somebody who you feel has has made bad decisions. Um, and when I'm when I'm teaching on the, the football courses, I always say yeah, we, we start off. What are the three biggest components of success and failure when it comes to a football club? And it is resources, opportunities, and decision making. Mm-hmm. And in the case of both Leeds United and Everton Football Club. They've certainly got resources because Farhad Mishiri stuck £500 million into the club. Leeds United have, have spent record levels themselves. They've got opportunities. They've got big fan bases. Leverton are moving to a new stadium and so on. Um, so you know they've got two things which should keep them above that relegation zone so close to the end of the season. And then we come to the third element, which is the quality of the decision-making. Mm. And... I think this is where we could perhaps say they've been making wrong decisions, you know, certainly in terms of what's happening on the pitch. And look, this isn't a football show, as we've always said, but I'm trying to look at this here from a uh, from a management perspective, from a business perspective. Um, and if it was in another industry, you'd say, well, if you have spent considerably more money than your peer group and yeah. you have performed worse, then somebody would have to go. Now, normally in business, it would be the shareholders saying, we're going to get rid of the board of directors. Football being football, it's the board of directors say, well, well, we don't particularly like the idea of that. What we'll do instead is that we'll sack the coach. Yeah, but before before we move on to the second part of the Everton story, Kieran, and I understand what you're saying about the fans' letter, but I mean, if you're allowed to sit in a pub and and demand the sacking of somebody, you, you probably should be allowed to send a letter to do the same thing. But mm. I'm not defending... Um, Bill Kenwright here at all, especially what he said uh, in that letter. But it, it it seems to me that they're picking on the wrong person. As an outsider, it seems to me that Everton didn't pull up any trees under Bill Kenwright, but they sort of played within their financial that's, I'm mixing metaphors here, but within their financial cloth, you know what I mean? In the same way that Palace did under Ron Nodes. And it, it seems to me that the real problems came when the new owner came in and it might be that Bill Kenwright sold to the wrong people. I I don't know. And of course there's that particular problem for Everton because everything is viewed through the prism of the other club in the city, um, success and failure. But, you know, for a long time, Everton were a top 10 Premier League club. And it it seems odd to me and a little bit sad because to an outsider, and I'm happy for Everton fans to, to put me right on this, to an outsider, Bill Kenwright seemed like somebody who dedicated a lot of, uh, his own money and his and time, obviously, to a club that he that he loved. Yeah, yeah, there's 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 no doubting his his affection for the club that he he does consider himself to be an Evertonian because he's been he's been going since he was knee high to a grasshopper, as have many other fans. Um, yeah, at, at this time of year, we're all a bit anxious. Yeah, 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 and, and a bit angry. Um, and yeah, that that's where that's why we've ended up with with this position. Yeah, and the second part of the story, Kieran, involves what might happen financially to some of the players if Everton do go down. Yes, and, and again, it comes back to what I've just been referring to in terms of decision-making. Now, one of the decisions that a club makes is the nature of the contracts that it offers to players. If you talk to you know, the people at Brighton and Bournemouth and Palace and so on, yeah, we we know that at the start of the season, our first objective is 17th position. Yeah, Everything else ultimately is a bonus. And, and if you have a good run, absolutely great. But you know, you're looking for 
you know, 38 points realistically um, at, at the start of the season. And, and then you can, you, can, you can start to have greater ambitions. And what you're also saying is that we also have to acknowledge that we know that there's probably now seven clubs that are never going to be relegated from the Premier League. Yeah. So yeah, therefore, yeah. we're looking at three out of 13. There's a 25% chance at the start of the season of being relegated, or just under 25%. Um, and therefore, we need to protect the club accordingly. And, and Steve Parrish was, was talking recently. He was saying that even with parachute payments, we face the thick end of a £100 million reduction in our revenue. Yeah. Um, and how do we deal with that? We deal with that by having relegation clauses in, in, in our contracts for players. Everton have not done that wow. traditionally. Right. Now, that could be because of you know, a, a misplaced sense of worth by the owners. And you know they'll also point out, well, hold on, Everton haven't been relegated for 70 years, so therefore we don't need relegation yeah. clauses in contracts. So I absolutely understand that. But it would now appear that Everton, if these stories in the newspapers are correct, and we, yeah, we always have to take these with a, with a dose of salt, um, if these stories are correct, um, what's going to happen when Everton are relegated is that those players that were signed before summer 2022 are safe. You know, they they are locked in to their contracts. Those players that have been signed since the, the start of the season, and you know, let the buyer beware. You know, nobody forced the player to sign the contract. Will have to take a, a pay reduction. Speaking to chief executives of clubs that have been through relegation, they say you know, we can normally get a maximum of 20 to 25% reduction, anything else, and the players won't sign the contract. Um, so you could therefore end up with a pretty much split changing room where wow. you've got three or four players, and one would say, well, okay, I've taken a 10 grand a week, 10 grand a week pay cut. I'm not happy about it, but you know, I, I wanted to play for Everton. Um, um, yeah, they're not going to be on pauper's wages, as we know. And then they're looking at one of their colleagues who put in performances which also contributed towards relegation. Yeah, this is you know, this is no way guaranteed. Everton might get a couple of good results, and, and ultimately, if they get two wins out of the last four games, they're safe. Yeah, one um, argument. Yeah, yeah. But but what what happens here is that. Um, you, you get a fractured changing room and people will go, well, you know, I've taken a pay cut, he hasn't, and, and that's not, that is not good for morale in any way, shape or form. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Well, talking about morale, Kieran, um, Sheffield United promoted uh, to the Premier League. Uh, there was some debate on uh, social media and on 606 
this weekend, which I increasingly wonder why I listen to, so I hate it so much. Some kind of masochism involved there. But there was some uh, humour about Sheffield United creating their own trophy for finishing second. But they have been promoted to the Premier League, which, according to your theory, must mean their fans are furious because they don't want to be. They want to be in a championship where they can play two games a week and have three days to recover and go to new grounds. But we know where they're playing next season, Kim. But we don't know who they're being owned by next season because the potential high-profile takeover by Dozy Mbrosi uh, looks like it may definitely not be happening. Yes, um, there was a report in the Times that Dozy Mbwosi, um had withdrawn his interest. And the reason for this is that he'd had a, a falling out with the existing owner of Sheffield United, is Prince Abdullah. Apparently, originally, they'd agreed a, a £115 million price, yeah, with Sheffield United being in the championship, but also being in receipt of parachute payments. Um, Dozy Mbwosi has put in, according to his his sources, he's put in the thick end of £9 million into the club. And we know that Sheffield United have had some cash flow problems. So it's it's contributed towards the club being promoted. Um, and, and he should be given some credit for that if, if these stories are true. Um, and then he himself has now come out with a press release to say, actually, uh, I don't particularly get on with Prince Abdullah, but I've withdrawn my withdrawal. Right, oh, as it were, okay. and I'm still thinking of buying the club. But then you go, well, okay, this has been dragging on for some time. Um, what's likely to be the the fly in the ointment here? Um, well, that's that's going to be um, the issue of the EFL and and the owners and directors test. And, and it it does seem strange that somebody who has had county court judgments uh, against them for for renting properties here in the UK. Um, is a in the position to put in nine million pounds of spare cash during the course of the season, and then as one hundred and fifteen million pounds to, to put in at a later stage as well. So wait, wait and see. But it's it's messy, and, and you know it's, it's it's a fantastic achievement to to get promoted, given that the club you know, has been subject to a transfer embargo, yeah. and, and it, you know, things have been been tricky. So you've got to give uh, you know, the manager and the players a lot of credit for what they've done, and also to have done it with, with games to spare. But um, you now get to that awkward position of transfer budgets, recruitment budgets for the summer. And if you don't know who the owners are, you, you don't really know with any degree of certainty what that budget is going to be. There's always a case for the the existing owner saying, well, yeah, I'm looking for an exit route, so it's somebody else's problem. But of course, that somebody else isn't in a position to say, yes, I can sanction this particular signing or not. So it's essential that this, this deal, whatever happens, is sorted out quickly. Uh, two things here, Kieran. Uh, the first one I'm slightly confused by. So Dozy's put in £9 million towards the day-to-day mm. running of the club in recent months. If he then ends up not buying the club, has he lost that money? Does he get that money back? Was, has it gone? Well, um, I would imagine he will be consulting his his legal advisors. Um, okay. If that money was put in as a donation, then no, but it's more likely, I would imagine he would have been advised to formalise the relationship and and to put it in as a loan. So therefore, he should be able to get it out. Um, Potentially, he should be able to get it out plus some form of bonus connected to the club being promoted. Um, But without seeing the small print of any any paperwork, you can't make a a final final, uh, conclusion with regards to that. Um, 
I, I know the answer to this question, Kieran, but just for those uh, listeners, uh, damn, I'm going to say listeners listening, that's really annoying. Just for those people listening, oh, I can't even be asked to get Guy to edit that either. I'm just going to make me sound slovenly. Um, the owners and the directors' rules, will they be different now that he's trying to take over a Premier League club than an EFL club? Yes, they are. I mean, whilst theoretically they're the same, um, the Premier League has greater resources um, to investigate ownership. And uh, you know, we saw this with Saudi Arabia and PIF, and uh, we don't know what's happening in relation to um, Newcastle um, you know, because Richard Masters was being very coy when he was asked um, by by a parliamentary committee in in that there Westminster type area mm-hmm. um, about what was happening in respect of Newcastle. But my understanding is the Premier League's got a bigger budget, and therefore it tends to go into things in in more depth. So this this could be a further issue because um, Sheffield United have been promoted, but they are not yet shareholders in the Football Association Premier League Limited. Though That transfer normally takes place on the 1st of July or pretty close to the 1st of July when, when the year ends. So it, it gets a bit messy. Oh, right. So it might be better for all concerned if they get this sorted by the 1st of July then? Yes, yes. Because yeah, okay. then effectively, whilst Sheffield United are under the umbrella of the EFL, um, the EFL will be continuing with the investigations. They can sign off, uh, and then it's it's a lot easier, I think, for the for the Premier League to inherit this as an issue. And talking of potential new owners, Kieran, this is not in the script Guy sent us uh, a little while ago because it only came up uh, a few minutes ago. But there's rumours that Jim Ratcliffe has said that he will, uh, if he wants to continue his takeover bid, he wants to take over the transfer policy as of now. Is that? Uh, standard procedure? Um, No, (laughs) because what happens if the Glazers decide to accept the offer from Sheikh Jassim and you've you've had Jim Ratcliffe being involved? I I absolutely understand why he has said what he has said because it puts further pressure on the Glazers to make a decision sooner rather than later. And um, I was on a Manchester United show earlier today, and effectively saying that uh, you know, it's uh, it's going to it's, it's always a big summer for a club, the stature of Manchester of United. But in terms of budget, there's there's two things. There's a the quantum of the budget. How much uh, uh, would the Glazers have approved? How much would a new owner? It could be that Sir Jim Ratcliffe is going to approve more or less. And then, of course, you've got to say, well, okay, what are we going to spend it on? Is, is Jim Ratcliffe going to bring in his own ops team with with regards to changing the, the philosophy in, in terms of player recruitment? Um, or is he going to be maintained uh, with what we have presently at Manchester United? Mm. So, um, what he's doing is he's, he's putting pressure on the Glazers, trying to hurry them up in terms of making a decision. Um, at the same time, <coughs> reading some of the press reports, he has offered a wee bit more overall, even though it will end up with him spending less money because he's not buying all of the shares, uh, but he values the, the club overall a wee bit higher. Um, and we could have two of the Glazers still involved a, as shareholders, B, potentially as, as directors as well, um, and then having some board influence. So 
very complex, um, but it's a, it, it's it's a smart move from a PR point of view, I think, from Ratcliffe. Mm. It's it's not going to be a good summer for another United, Kieran, and that's Hartlepool. And our next two stories uh, take us there. Yes, um, uh, the Victoria Park, as 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 I know it, and I yeah, suspect you know it, indeed. or the Suit Direct Stadium as they would rather have it referred to. Um, yeah, Hartlepool United have been relegated to the National League. This isn't the first time this has happened, of course. Um, the club was acquired by a guy called Raj Singh, who who lives locally, um, my understanding, in, in 2018. Um, Hartlepool have been losing probably in the region of three to £400,000 a year um, in, in recent times. So... Uh, not great, but the owner has said, "My time is done." You know, I've I've tried to uh, allow the club to survive. It, it's not worked. When that happens, yeah, we're fully aware in the stories we've already been discussing a deteriorating relationship between fan base and owner. Um, things get toxic, and it looks like the owner is saying, "You know, that that's me off ski." Um, who's he going to sell it to? Because the National League is a very, very competitive division. Yeah. Um, Hartlepool United, it's, it's, it's a great ground uh, to, to travel to. If anybody has, has not been there, I'd, I'd thoroughly recommend it. There's, uh, there's uh, you know, good good eating and drink, drinking establishments nearby, especially if you're going on a first date with somebody. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's, that's a separate issue. Um, so, so, but who who would buy it, uh, given that there's you know, limited uh, opportunities to, to grow the fan base uh, in terms of attendances. It's a fantastic community club. It does an awful lot of work. Um, and, and this is this is my, my concerns now, is that if the owner has reached that position where they no longer want to be the owner, what's going to happen to that three to £400,000 a year, which was effectively being put in by the owner to to allow the club to to meet its financial obligations. I, I, um, I so, suppose as well, Kieran, sorry to interrupt, but it, uh, Hartlepool fans will hate me for saying this, but the the probable continued growth of Newcastle is going to make it even harder in the next five to ten years to encourage local kids to support Hartlepool rather than them, isn't it? You, you're absolutely right. You know, New, Newcastle have a spectacular season. They, they are going to be playing in the Champions League next season. Yeah. I think we think we all know who the four Champions League teams are, are, yeah. are going to be. That's effectively now sorted. Um, the, the, the club is uh, is heading in a, a in, in an upwards direction in terms of its opportunities, um, and therefore, if you are the local kid, you know, the glamour of Newcastle versus the the, the local charm and, uh, and and character of, of Hartlepool, it, it becomes. That much tougher, yeah. You know, I I, re- I remember being in Brighton in the in the mid nineties when we were in the in the fourth division, and you didn't see kids wearing Brighton shirts because, yeah, effectively it was an embarrassment to do so when you could buy a Chelsea shirt or a Manchester United shirt or an Arsenal shirt. I absolutely understood yeah, or it. A, or a crawl, I hated a it. Crawley shirt or a Whitehawk shirt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can carry on if you want, Kieran. I know quite a Lewis shirt. <laughs> yeah, what Hartlepool need to do is start playing games on a Friday night. Yes, yeah, yeah, that yeah. could be an idea. Yeah. I, so, I, so I, I remember uh, going to to Stockport and and Tranmere Rovers. Yeah, when when I was a student, uh, because you know, 
football was football drove practically everything I did when I was at university, and it would be go go to a match somewhere. Normally, you know, at Old Trafford or or uh, Main Road on on a Saturday because it was so cheap to get in in those days. Uh, and Friday nights would be Rochdale or Stockport or Tranmere because the clubs used to play there um, in order to try to attract the, the the sort of the the casual fan. Thursday night Buzzcocks, Friday night Tranmere. You. You're like a Tony Wilson documentary, Kieran. You, you, <laughs> um, whoever takes over Hartlepool United uh, has got an ongoing... This is the level of uh, detail that we get into on this pod, Kieran. It's got a level of um, a, a HR issue that they're going to have to deal with, haven't they? Yes. Um, this this is a really sad story. This is to do with the, the former bar manager, uh, Danielle Kearns um, of Hartlepool United. She she was originally taken on um, sort of as as the country was coming out of COVID and lockdown to to do sixteen hours a week to be the bar manager, um, and she's very good at a job. You know, you by all accounts, um, and she ended up working substantially more than sixteen hours a week because we were playing so many fixtures. You know, yeah. It was Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Um, there were other members of staff who were getting COVID, and Danielle was covering for them. But she was only being paid for sixteen hours a week, and uh, you know, when she, you know, she kept her own tally um, of the number of hours and said said to the club, you know, I'm I'm working effectively for for half of minimum wage or you know, yeah. some horrendous uh, hourly rate. And the club said originally, well, we'll give you a token twenty five hours of overtime. She said, well, actually, I've worked hundreds of hours. These are all the details. These are the times you've asked me to come in. This is when you've asked me to come in to to cover. Um, not different people in different operations of the club. And I've done so, and I've done so because you know, I, I'm trying to be a professional person. Um, and in the end, she she reached the stage where you know, it was affecting her health and, and things were getting you know, unpleasant. And she's ended up having to put in a, a, a legal claim um, in respect of the club for effectively unlawful deduction of wages. Yeah. She's done the hours. She's not being paid. Um, the club is going to have to pay her three and a half thousand pounds. And it's 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 petty and it's mean spirited and it does not reflect well on the people in control of the club making those decisions. I don't think we can stress this enough, Kieran. Right from the start of this pod, whatever level, if you're listening to this podcast and you own a football club. But whatever level, if you're in the 92, if you're way, way down the pyramid, if it's a Sunday league team, you will have a Danielle working at your club. Every Mm. single club in this country has got a Danielle or a Ron who's been a steward and a car park attendant for for 50 years. Look after them. Look after them first before you look after the players because they're the people who represent the spirit of your club. And they're the, they're the, it's a terrible word, but they're the forward-facing aspect. They're the, they're the people that your fans see on a on a daily match day basis. Look after them for the sake of three thousand quid. Look after the Daniels of this world, really. The fans will thank you for it. Um, we mentioned U.S. investors, uh, Kieran, in uh, British clubs. I nearly said English then. That would have been a huge mistake. Would have got me a lot, <laughs> a lot of terrible tweets. Um, these are less glamorous than Burnley, perhaps, and Wrexham, but Swansea City have got some money coming their way, it looks like. Yes, Um Swansea City are, are are controlled mainly by Jason Levine and Steve Kaplan. Um, the Supporters Trust do own a, a an element of the club as well, and and I, and I did a podcast with the Supporters Trust in, in relation to the club's finances a few days ago. Um, but 
they have been losing 400 grand a week wow. because they're in the championship. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for all the good that exists in the championship, we've been saying, when it comes to the fine, when it comes to the, the finances, it's it's a clown car. You know, it, it's, it's it, there's wheels popping off. There's glitter all over the place. There's <laughs> there, there's there's horrendous things, um, left, right, and centre. Um, so they've got three new American investors who are putting in around about ten million pounds, which which is going to allow the club to to pay the bills. Is that um, is that between know, them, Kieran, or each? That's between them. Right. Yes, yeah. um, and it's further evidence that uh, U.S. investors have have fallen for uh, football in in the EFL, in the National League, in the Premier League. Um, some people are saying, should we be wary about it? Um, I, I don't think so. I, I, for, yeah, I've always taken the view that you know, the place that you're born doesn't doesn't determine your values. Yeah, you you, yeah. you determine your values, so, and you take ownership of them. So that there has been some some concern and, and reservations. Um, but of course, if we have a white paper which uh, was uh, yeah, <laughs> put together with the help of Tracy Crouch, um, then. Um, we we will be in a position, a stronger position, to defend the values and the history and the heritage of the game, um, and we can all move forwards whilst still um, making it an attractive proposition for investors. So, yeah, stick that in your pipe, Premier League. <laughs> um, well, we're talking of attractive propositions for investors, Morecambe are getting a bit of cash injected. Yes, um, Morecambe have had problems. They were put up for sale by Bond Investments in September 2022. Their their owners also own Worcester Warriors Rugby Club, which has effectively struggled to be, be in existence. Um, and we, we had this discussion a few months ago about a, a gentleman called Sabjot Johal, who is from, I think he's from Solihull, and he's made his money in soft drinks. He's 20 years old. Um, and by all accounts, he's put a load of money in to, to allow the club to to make its financial obligations, to pay its bills. Um, and, and if that is the case, fair play to him. But again, there seems to be slow progress in terms of the owners and directors test. Um, and, and this is another reason for perhaps being sort of having two cheers rather than three. You know, the EFL are doing a far more thorough job than they were doing uh, a few years ago. And, and uh, I think that is to protect um, clubs from uh, people with inappropriate objects. Ob- objectives uh, and people who are just doing it for their own benefit rather than that of the football club. But um, it, it's a club which is punching above its weight in League One, um, uh, you know, and it's uh, not guaranteed a place in League One. Uh, you know, it, it's come for a long way. Again, it's got a, it's got a natural ceiling in terms of its fan base, um, and, and it tries to be successful by having a bit more of a, a smarter approach than, than a bigger spending approach in that division. Mm. Now, uh, Kieran, we were in the North East a moment ago and we mentioned this club. Regardless of the, the politics of Newcastle this season, regardless of what you feel about their success, I think only the most curmudgeonly of traditional football fans and those based in Sunderland could disagree that Newcastle's kit is is one of the greats. I mean, and it's inspired kits all over the world. I know it was inspired by Notts County, I believe, originally, but that black and white striped kit, certainly you see some of the old photos, is fantastic. But for me, this year, spoilt by just having something splurged in light blue across it. Uh, and it seems like they'll be resolving that next season, hopefully, and making a bit of money into the bargain. Yes. Um, if you take a look at the commercial income 
of Newcastle United. In 2007, when Mike Ashley took over, it was making £27 million a year. Um, To give you some context, that was £2 million more than Manchester City. Wow. Fast forward to 2022, and Newcastle United are making £280 million less than Manchester City in terms of their commercial income. Um, Mike Ashley... Yeah, he he ran the club from a sustainable perspective in an okay way. It it did tend to broadly meet its obligations. Um, But he was, you know, his team were not great at building the brand of Newcastle. So it now looks that Newcastle United from next season will have a new front of shirt sponsor, which is going to be worth around £25 million. Now, if these reports are correct, um, it was. It's, going, it's certainly going to be the biggest uh, front of shirt deal outside of the traditional sneaky six, yeah. um, uh, and it is going to be based in a Middle Eastern company. But the reports are it is not going to be from an organisation in Saudi Arabia, um, and and this can only help Newcastle in terms of their ambitions, A, to progress the club in terms of what it can pay for for players and wages and so on, um, and B, to, to ensure that what we have at present from those other six clubs is an attempt to, to keep Newcastle in what those six clubs consider to be its rightful place. Um, so this this will be a, a very good deal. It's probably be worth you know, three times the amount that the club has presently from Fun 88, um, and it, it would it will of course allow the club to, to compete more. And people are saying, well, how do they get away with it? It's not a case of getting away with it. They'll be in the Champions League next season. Yeah, the Champions League is is where it's at yeah. as far as eyeballs are concerned yeah. midweek, and um, therefore this will help Newcastle to defend the position from a um, what we know as the fair value panel when it comes to assessing the value of individual commercial contracts. Why does it make so? I mean, even, even if the company were to be a Saudi Arabian company sponsoring them, if if it wasn't part of the Saudi Arabian government, and I know there are people who say there's nothing in that company that isn't in that country that isn't part of the government, why why would that make such a big difference? Um, I think what Newcastle are doing is is quite savvy. You know that they are saying that there is increased interest in the the MENA. Uh, area ge- geographical area right. because of the big noise that, that Newcastle have made in terms of what they've delivered on the pitch um, and and therefore we're demonstrating this by um, uh, being able to negotiate a deal with a non-Saudi country so therefore there's there can be no accusations of, of government interference right. or influence okay. and in addition to that it allows Newcastle United to sign sort of second and third tier deals with sponsors in Saudi Arabia and say, well, look, our front of shirt deal is worth 25 million. So therefore, this deal for, for such and such must be, yeah, that's okay at 3 million. That's okay at 2 million. And I think that's what you will see the club doing is increasing its portfolio of um, commercial partners in in the general <coughs> geographical area and in, in doing so, being able to substantially increase commercial income from, from where, where we stand at present. I, I suppose you could argue, Kieran, that whoever had taken over Newcastle, whether it had been a sovereign state or a, a, another individual, was always going to be taking over a more attractive brand because it was Mike Ashley that was poised. It wasn't the Newcastle United brand that was turning people off. It was the Sports Direct Mike Ashley brand, wasn't it? You, you're absolutely right because 
Newcastle fans, and, and this is this is where sort of you know the the non-violent direct action approach taken by many supporters is is something which um, clubs are slowly starting to cotton on to. That if the fans don't like the owner, then there's ways of impacting things. Um, and, and Mike Ashley was a negative influence as in terms of popularity. So therefore, if I was a sponsor, I'd say ultimately. I want a front of shirt deal or I want some perimeter advertising deal. I know that there's a big chance that um, the fans will go onto social media and they'll start writing rude things or giving me bad bad grades in terms of you know, TripAdvisor and, or Trustpilot or, or uh, the, the, uh, these other these other things. Um, and therefore, yeah, let, let's go to another club and that way we don't have that problem. Mm. Um, and, and I think when, when fans are organised and, and Newcastle fans have become quite organised as a result of the, the antipathy towards Mike Ashley is concerned, this, this can result in the club being hit financially because that ultimately owners care about money a lot more than they care about football in the vast majority of cases. You know, not, that's not a universal accusation. These are heady times, Kieran, for Coventry City, and who would begrudge them after the years they've had? Uh, they're one of that group of clubs in that really exciting race mm. for the playoff spot. Um, and I've had some good news about their home ground this year. Yes, I mean, there's been a lot of uncertainty um, because uh, the, the the RICO I know it's called the Coventry Building, so it's the RICO. Yeah. Um, because, because the company operating that went into administration, and it was then subsequently bought by guess who? Mike Ashley. Yeah. The stadiums <laughs> was bought by Mike Ashley's Fraser Group. People were saying, "Well, why did they do that?" It's because Mike Ashley himself got his fingers burned when he was trying to buy Derby County yeah. because he could buy the football club but not the stadium because it was owned by Mel Morris, who didn't want Mike Ashley involved. So, um, you know, Mike Ashley, he's he learns very quickly from these events. He he bought the stadium. Um, initially, he said to Coventry, I'll, I'll, I'll let you stay there till the end of the year. But the good news now is that we have a five-year deal. Um, Doug King, who is the new owner of Coventry, said he's, uh, you know, let's let's be honest, we're, we're in negotiations. The aim is to, to buy the stadium from the Fraser Group. It's of no use to the Fraser Group. Yeah, and, and apart from you know d- doing a deal on Dublin and flipping flipping at a profit, and, and that's 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 the reason for it. Um, so if, if that is the case, you know I'm sure Cov fans will be absolutely delighted if they have a their team in the Premier League, which is very exciting, by the way. Um, uh, from you know they, they they've been been away for a long period of time, and um, they'll they'll have that degree of certainty and yeah. comfort that some of the things that they've had to do you know going to Northampton and Birmingham and so on and, and the the uncertainty of tenure that that could be lifted if you get if you get club and stadium under the same same corporate roof that helps yes um we're nearing the end of this marathon pod Kieran just four stories to go um two of them are about broadcasting deals uh one based at home and one based in our favorite European basket case <laughs> yes. Well, um, it looks like the EFL uh, will be in a position to approve a new TV deal. Um, Sky have been announced as the preferred partners. Um, there's always been a good relationship between the EFL and Sky, and, yeah. and I think Sky put on a fantastic product, and I think that will be a contributory factor. We don't know the numbers involved, 
But there does appear to have been far more competition than there has been historically. So we're presently in a £119 million a year deal. Um, there, there is talk of that going closer to 200 which which would be absolutely fantastic. We've always said when it comes to money um, and, and TV deals, there's two issues. There's the size of the pie and there's how you cut the pie. The, the pie is going to be bigger. That means that the gap between the championship and League One is going to grow substantially as well because um, for every pound that you get in League One, you get around about £6.50 um, in, in the championship. So you know, we, we've often spoken about the gap between the Premier League and, and the championship and that causing dysfunctional behaviour. Um, my concern is that the, the gap between the championship and League One uh, <coughs> yeah. is, uh, is going to cause us something similar. And uh, to our favourite red and blue-based basket case. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yes, uh, uh, red and blue Barcelona, of course. Um, they, they have used every economic lever uh, that they possibly can. La Liga itself has said, we're not going to allow you to sell more than 5% on any other economic levers, oh, i.e. Okay. effectively selling your future rights. But uh, Barca TV, which which you intuitively would think would be quite successful, does in fact lose money, oh. as does Manchester United TV, as does oh. Chelsea TV. Oh, okay. Th- these channels don't really make money because you know, what ultimately you're buying. You know, do, do you want to go and see? You, know, you, you might subscribe for a month or two and then, you know, having an interview with the groundsman and watching the under-23s play you know, pre-recorded matches, uh, you go, I'm not really getting an awful lot of money. I'm, it's well, costing me you know, 80 or 90 quid a year you, for this. Yeah, that's- you say that, Kieran, but I wouldn't know what Luca Villavoyage's favourite burger was. If it wasn't about that. There's no other way of finding out what Joel Ward's favourite Springsteen song is either. These, these, <laughs> this, this level of journalism is something you... <laughs> Carry on. Sorry, Kieran. That's, that's true. Um so in, in respect of Barcelona, what they said is, right, we're losing money. We're likely to be in seriously hot water with La Liga in respect of their cost control measures this summer. We want to get Messi back. I think that ship's probably flown or is even sailed. Even. <laughs> um, even more importantly, if, if uh, flying ships, whatever next. Starships? Um, you can have a starship, the Enterprise that flies. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair point, fair point. Um, flying Dutchman. So, flying Dutchman. Oh, yeah. yeah, great, great opera. Yeah, Karen. Um, so they're just going to they're going to close down the channel. People are going to lose their jobs on the on the back of this because because they 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 cannot run the the, the organisation as a business. So they've identified this as a loss making part, um, and therefore they're closing down their own TV channel. Would, what an indictment of the people in charge of that club! It, it's a terrible indictment of the people in charge of that club, Kieran. And uh, yeah, I I'm not laughing at it because it, it doesn't make it funny that people are losing their jobs just because they're abroad. What it's it's outrageous, but what baffles me about it, Kieran, is that Barcelona's business model normally is, is is them finding a way to make money out of something. You'd imagine that they would find somebody who would take it off their hands at some kind of ludicrous billions of euros profit, which they then set against something else. It's it's an odd one. It's almost an admission of defeat for a giant mm. club like that to say we we can't make money out of this, so we're just cutting it. And, and again, it comes back to Danielle at Hartlepool. Fans don't like it. I mean, even mm. even fans of a giant club like that are going to be going, oh, don't make people unemployed. There's ways around this. We'd, you know, we, we'll do without Messi. 
it's it's an odd it's yeah as you say indictment uh two more stories kieran and one of them is generated by you um yes it, it was on the back of some fans saying how how does everybody make a profit selling players yes. in the premier league because you got, if you have 20 clubs making a profit then nobody's making a loss hang on so hang on. <clears throat> work that out oh yeah 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 <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Um, so I, I had a look at the numbers, and, and between them, the, the clubs in the Premier League, I think they made £670 million from, from selling players. Um, and people say, well, how, how can you do this? So, well, okay, yeah, this, this is what happens when I get people sending me direct messages on social media <laughs> because, because they realise this, this is a way of circumventing um, the nine-month waiting list to get a question answered on the Price of Football's Monday morning podcast. Uh, but I, I'm not encouraging people. To, to do this, I'm. Uh, I, I, I can stop I can... following them back. How many times have I told you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I can't afford a divorce. Um, <laughs> answering all these questions. Uh, so, uh, what, what I worked out is that the reason for this is that we are comparing the value of the player after the contract has been amortized to the sale price. And, and and this is sort of the this is how dumb the world of accounting is. You you sign a player for 50 million pounds um on a five-year contract. So it gets amortized 10 million a year. You sell the player three years later for 30 million pounds. You say, well hold on, I bought him for 50, I've sold him for 30. He's still got two years left on his contract. So he's, you know, he's still at full value as far as the markets are concerned. Um, so we've lost 20 million pounds, but you say, well, actually his, his, his amortized value is 20 million. We've sold the player for 30. So the accountants stick in a profit of 10 million pounds. So, so if you do it from a cash basis, i.e. comparing what we've bought players for to what we've sold them for, the Premier League actually lost £600 million in 2022, but it's posting an accounting profit of 670 So yeah, when, when when people go to an accountant and they say, you know, we've given you the books, what, what, what do you think profit is? The accountant's answer is, what do you want it to be? Yeah. Because the accountants can do things like this. Our final story, you make accountants sound like superheroes in, Kieran. That sounded like the trailer to a film. <laughs> it just needs that deep voice. Accountants can do that infection. I can't do it. Um, our final story, Kieran, is yet another one, I'm pleased to say, that illustrates the gulf between the perception of uh, some Premier League footballers as spoiled, lazy brats, and the reality. And in the same way as we saw that video go viral yesterday of Leeds players ignoring a young child because all the these players that hadn't ignored the young child and had spoken to him and shaken his hand and high-fived him and had photographs taken were edited out of that video, um, which is what people tend to do psychologically about footballers. Uh, another one has done a very good thing. Yes, this, this is both a fantastic story and an indictment of football in 2023. So Trent yeah. Alexander-Arnold, a 24-year-old, local lad from Liverpool, he is setting up um, a scheme uh, to, to help the 99.5% yeah. of players who join a football club academy and who do not go on to have a career in professional football. And you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, that if you look at the data, and that's that's what nerds do, yeah, we, yeah. we look at data. Um, if you take a look at the average educational attainment of a child who is coming into the world of football at the age of nine or 10, they are of above 
average educational achievement at that age. And when they are leaving the um, when they are leaving those academies at the ages of 14, 15, 16, and so on, they are below average. The, the world of football, the world of professional football has let those kids down. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't, uh, it does have a duty of, of aftercare. And some clubs, to be fair to them, do try to, to offer some assistance. Um, and others are go through the motions. They, 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 they pay lip service to this. So what, what Trent Alexander Arnold is doing, he says, yeah, I, I've, I know the lads that I I was training with, yeah. you know, from yeah, and he was he was discovered at the age of six, and yeah. and some of them, it was a devastating blow because they not only wanted to be professional footballers, they wanted to be professional footballers for Liverpool because they're from Liverpool, they're yeah. from the surrounding area, they love the club, their their mums and dads love the club, um, and they've sacrificed their education. And the other thing that we notice with kids of this age is that they also sacrifice their friends yeah. because. Everything is geared towards you know you you're, you're training at the academy two nights a week. You've you've got to make compromises and sacrifices. And not only have they lost out in terms of their education, but they've lost out on that bond that, that we form with with our friends, which which can be yeah. And we both know as men that we, we we're pretty rubbish at expressing our feelings. And actually, having somebody you can trust who's your age is going through the same things that you're going through is 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 of immense benefit. There are too many men's mental health issues. Yeah. This scheme by uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold is is trying to address in in, in whatever way he can do, and, and he's got to be commended, A, for highlighting the issues, and, and B, for, for putting some resource into it. Um, but we've got the elite player performance plan. Why isn't this doing more? You know, the, the, the Premier League trumpets it as, as this wonderful scheme. Um, there are too many kids who are falling through the gaps. There are too many kids whose education and 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 future as as successful people in other careers is being compromised because you know the, the clubs will never admit this. But in order to to have a successful academy, you need to have opponents yeah. to the kids that they've already identified. Effectively, the kids who are glorified tomato cans. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's, and, that, and that sounds really cruel, and I don't mean it to be because let's face it, they still be a hundred times better football than I ever would have been. Um, but they're just not going to make the grade. Um, and uh, the, the professional football owes those children um, a, a, a greater sense of responsibility than we're getting at present. And fair play to Trent Alexander Arnold for, for putting his money uh, behind his mouth and you know, getting this scheme up and going. Well said. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that would be very kind. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, either accost me in the street or direct message Kieran or do what everybody else does and email questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Um, well, as the match between Chelsea and Arsenal was kicked off, very quickly, thank you very much for the support for the show. If you want to do it in another way, give us a review using your uh, your app. We don't care what you write. You could have it either and say, we'd rather have the show presented by Mike Ashley and Simon LeBon. Wouldn't bother me because I want to go and watch the football now. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> the price of football.
that provides a photo call.